0: Episode number 90. Today, I have an interview with Linda Ockeson-McGurk, and Linda is an advocate for getting kids outside in all types of weather. And today in this episode, we're going to be talking about the importance of doing just that.
1: You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona.
0: Hi there, it's Danae. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Simple Families podcast. Today, I'm bringing you an interview. I recently finished the book, There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather, which is a new book by Linda Ockeson McGurk, who is the blogger behind Rain or Shine Mama. I have long been fascinated by... All things and all parts of Scandinavian culture. And Linda is a Swedish mother who is raising her children here in the US. So today I have the privilege of picking her brain and learning more about how her culture and how her upbringing has influenced the way that she is doing things with her own children. Linda has inspired me in so many ways to get my own children outdoors and the importance of it. And I hope that she'll do the same for you. Here's the interview. Enjoy. Today I have with me Linda. Aukison McGurk. Linda, thank you so much for coming on to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting. Linda, I
0: have been reading your book over the past couple of weeks and I have learned so much. It's answered so many questions for me and just sort of brought a lot of things together in my mind. And um, Linda has just recently, was it in October that you published your book? Yes, just at the start of October actually. Yeah. Okay. So Linda just published There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather. And Linda is also the blogger behind Rain or Shine Mama. And I first came across Linda's materials probably a year or so ago. And I had seen I and I don't know, maybe it was in your in your tagline or somewhere, but you had this phrase, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothes. And I had never heard that before. And when I heard that, um, I was just like, wow, that is that's brilliant that it's just this brand new way. For me, it was a brand new way of thinking about being outside.
1: Right, right. And if you uh, grow up in Scandinavia, you've heard that phrase a million times. I mean, it's just uh, um, it it is uh, ingrained in us from from an early age, not just by our uh, not just by our parents, but preschool teachers and teachers and just about any adult uh, will tell you, you know, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothes. Um, and it's just our uh, their rallying cry for getting kids outside. So it's definitely something that we grow up with. And then when I um, when this book deal came came along, then um, I, I wanted to have that as my title. I, I knew, you know, I just felt like that just said it all. Um, and it was shortened a little bit because the feedback from the editor was that, you know, they thought the clothes, they thought maybe it made it sound like the book was about fashion or something. So they <laughs> shortened it that. a little bit, but but I still think it, it gets the point across. It does. And I think
0: for you, mm-hmm. being someone that grew up with this expression, it feels like everybody knows it and it feels so common, but it's not. I mean, for me growing up in the U.S., I had never heard this before. So when I heard it for the first time, I was like, wow, like that is just I wish that I would have had that mentality for my whole life. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think it really varies a little bit depending on where in the U.S. you uh, where, where you live. I've heard uh, some people like in Minnesota and Montana and also Canada to some extent uh, that people who have heard this expression before and, and sort of whose parents live by it. Um, So I think it varies a lot. Uh, The Midwest is very different from from out west. And that's something that I didn't really realize until I moved here. Because we tend to think of the US as this one big united country and is really very diverse from all kinds of perspective, including outdoor, you know, outdoor play. So
0: absolutely. I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Ohio. And you're in Indiana Mm -hmm. now, right? Yes. So probably somewhat similar from a cultural standpoint
1: absolutely yeah i think so the midwest here i feel like life kind of uh i think a lot of people hibernate in the winter um i think i'm the only one that's like hoping hoping for snow um because people here just tend to see it as an you know as a an inconvenience um uh so so that was a bit of a culture clash when i when i moved here and and then um You know, kids are being uh, often held inside for recess when when it gets colder, and and you just don't see kids playing outside in in the winter at all, almost. So that was uh, hard for me, trying to raise my own kids here, and part of the reason why I wrote the book, because I felt like there's something missing, something that I really cherished from my own childhood, and I felt like my kids were missing out on, so... That's really what, what set the wheels in motion.
0: And you have two daughters. How old are they now?
1: They are six and nine now.
0: Okay, so they're still very yeah. young.
1: Mm-hmm, they are.
0: So I will tell you, Linda, that I've been fascinated by Scandinavian culture for some time now. And I think there's so many things that have appealed to me and so many things that feel like align closely with our family values in that, I mean, The research and all the statistics and all the random articles on Facebook all point to the (laughs) fact that (laughs) you know Scandinavia really leads the world in things like sustainability and education Mm -hmm. and happiness and the outdoors and those are all things Mm -hmm. that I value and my husband values and that we really want to raise our kids with. And until I read your book, I didn't realize the connection between those things. For some reason, I sort of thought that those were all sort of just different entities. It's like, wow, look, they have a wonderful sustainability program, but they also have a great education system and a great outdoor culture. But it's it's all intertwined and it all comes back to this idea of fru help me pronounce it, fru loof sleeve? Is that <laughs> Free Luft sleeve? Free sleeve. And can you tell the us more about that?
1: Yeah. So free live sleeve, it loosely translates to open air life. And, uh, basically it just describes, um, a, a lifestyle that is kind of immersed in, you know, what being in, immersed in nature and, and enjoying nature in your everyday life without any sense of competition. So, um, we very much look at ourselves as being a part of nature, um, it's not a place that we go to. It's everywhere. Even, you know, regardless if you live in the city or in, in the countryside, humans are all, you know, nature is all around us and we are a part of it. Whereas in the U.S., it, I felt like it there's more of a divide. So when we talk about nature here, it's almost become synonymous with, like, wilderness or national parks or that nature is this pristine... Um, area, someplace else that we can, you know, places that we can go to on vacation. But I feel like the nearby nature in the US is is not maybe as appreciated as it is in Scandinavia. And, you know, those those wilderness areas are fantastic, uh, phenomenal. I've been to several of them, and and it's really something. But um, I think in terms of having that sort of deep uh, nature connection, Um, I think it's more important to have like a more of a daily, daily connection with nature. And that's the kind of nature that you can find in your neighborhood. Uh, Maybe it's a small parcel of woods, you know, with a creek running through it where kids can play, Um, you know, maybe it's just walking to school and feeling the wind on your face and uh, helping a, a turtle cross the road or, you know, things that, that happen even in, in towns or, um, in the cities, well, you probably don't get too many uh, turtles in New York city, but, uh, but th- little things like that, little moments in nature and just kind of embracing that. Uh, I think overall, I think that will have, I think that has a, an over, you know, a bigger impact overall than, than these other, uh, these other areas where you might, that you might get to once a year. You're so, you're so yeah. right about that because.
0: When if someone was to say, oh, we're going to go spend some time in nature, my mind immediately goes to they must be going to a state park. They must be going somewhere special. And I think you're we definitely undervalue sitting on the front porch and just wandering around, letting our kids wander around the backyard and the value in that. I get questions from parents. I talk about outdoor play and unstructured play, sp- more specifically, a lot on my blog and in my podcast. And I get parents asking me. Well, what do you do with kids outside? Like, do you go outside and live with like a bat and a ball? And just sort of like, what what does it look like spending time outside and, and sort of being or bringing this bond to nature to young children? What should they be doing? What should you be doing as a parent?
1: it really varies by age. So in Sweden, this sort of spirit is with you from, from the get-go and it's encouraged by, you know, doctors and, and, um, nurse midwives, and they all encourage, uh, new parents to get outside with the baby every day, you know, along with the, you know, feeding and sleeping and giving advice on all that stuff. Uh, they also give advice on how to, how to get outside for walks every day. And, um, and also babies in, in Scandinavia often uh, a majority of them uh, nap outside as well so you uh, might go for a walk and then park the stroller you know in your uh, on your back porch and, and just let let the babies uh, finish their naps outside basically
0: this this idea is just mind-blowing to me and I heard about this a couple of months ago and it's I'm just fascinated by it that the babies yeah. are left to sleep outside in their strollers, whether it's at home or maybe mm-hmm. in the community while the parents are having lunch or having coffee and right. and that babies in the cold, that babies are sleeping outside. And in your book, you mentioned that there's a Finnish study that identified the ideal napping temperature for babies to be 21 yes. degrees, which I is amazing to me. And I drop. I, my daughter is 20 months old, 21 months old now. And I dropped off at school this morning and I had a pair of snow pants with me. It was like 30, it was almost 40 degrees this morning when I dropped her off. And I had snow pants with me and ice, and there's a little bit of snow on the ground. So I said to the teachers, I was like, I wasn't sure if she needed her snow pants today, since there is a little bit of snow, but I realized it's not that cold. And they said, well, you know, we're actually not going to have time to go outside today because we have yoga and Spanish and we have a full morning of activities. So we're just not going to go out. So you can just take them with me. And my heart sort of dropped. And it's just the sense that, that we, that there's so many other things that we're prioritizing over outdoor play. And if the weather's not perfect, then we're not taking our kids outside. And that, do you find that to be the sentiment across the U.S.? Yes,
1: I, I do. And that is another big difference because in, in Scandinavia, this you know, outdoor play is really is highly valued for, you know, in its own sake because people are so aware of all the benefits. So at preschool, uh, the kids are actually entitled to outdoor play. It's in the national curriculum for the preschool. So all pre- all preschools basically have to offer it whether they're in the city or in, you know, in, in the rural area. So in the cities even, they, they just, they take the kids outside. They usually have like a little playground area or they'll take them to a park or some other green space. And, um, you know, it's just, it, there's just a lot less emphasis on uh, organized uh, adult-led structured activities uh, in the early years, especially in, in Scandinavia. Um, it's just, there's just, a, a, this consensus among both parents and early childhood educators that, that young children, they should just be playing. Um, and that doesn't mean they're not learning at the same time. They, they learn through their play and there, there are even at preschool, there are activities, but they are very open-ended and, um, it's it's uh it's a lot of them are child-led as well so there's a there's a huge huge difference there
0: and you mentioned that when parents are touring daycare centers that they are Mm -hmm. often looking for space for babies to sleep outside is that is that true so they'll look and make sure that that that's sort of a box that they want to check when they're touring facilities is that did I read that right?
1: Well, a lot, it depends. You can't, you don't always have the choice of a preschool, like typically because preschool is, um, it's like government, government subsidized. So typically there's the preschool in your, you, you could, you might have a little bit of a choice, but, uh, you can't like shop around, uh, too much for preschools, but it is something that a lot of parents request. Yes. And if the kids have not, Played outside enough, according to the parents, it's something that, it's, I know it for sure. I know uh, from experience, it's something that parents sometimes complain about. Yeah, it's like, oh, it was so. You know, temperature was so and so today. Oh, and they didn't take them outside. And so, See, yeah,
0: it's the absolute opposite here. I've actually heard from my <laughs> school that parents will come in and say, "Don't take them outside. It is too cold mm-hmm. today." Or, "Why were they outside so much?" And yes. it's just the. the The mentality and attitude towards getting kids outdoors is so different in the U.S. versus in Scandinavia.
1: Right, it is. It's very different. So, um, and that's part of the reason why I wanted to write this book. I just felt like, um, I I just felt like this needs to get out there. (laughs) I just wanted there to be more of an appreciation of outdoor play. I feel like we've gotten away from it in this country. It used to be. It used to come more naturally I think a few decades ago. Absolutely Um, when I was a kid I
0: played outdoor freely unstructured Uh, my husband as well and we are both in our Mm -hmm. mid-30s now is your your husband did he have a similar experience growing up? Yeah
1: yeah he he did and he's he's also close to 40 and I think we're almost like the we I think we're like the last generation that sort of grew up in this low-tech outdoor play environment, but we're now trying to raise young children in a high tech world and very busy world. Um, so there's, I think a lot of things that have, it's just become like this perfect storm for, um, you know, against outdoor play and it is, yeah, electronics are part of it. Of course, it's a huge change since we were kids. Um, but also this business that it, I think, and part of it is just, the U.S. is a competitive, as a, like, it's a competitive country, it's a competitive culture, we value um, success, and and, individual success, it's very much uh, ingrained in our fabric here, and that, unfortunately, I think that's kind of, it starts very early with, you know, uh, even, like, in, in toddlerhood, so... I think that kind of it rubs off on childhood as well, whereas in, in Scandinavia, childhood is more sort of sacred. You know, people feel like, well, the world is kind of <laughs> it's a competitive place anyway, but let's just let them have their childhood to just be kids and play. So yeah. there are very few activities like organized activities uh, for for kids that are not school age. You know, in, in your book, I
0: wrote this quote down, actually, because I really liked that. This um, You said that the the U.S. government's me- message to parents on preschool is something similar to these kids need to spend less time molding Play-Doh and more time preparing for their corporate careers. And that resonated with me. And I read that to my husband because my husband has a corporate career. And we spend a lot of time discussing this idea of the value of play versus the value of preparing for life. And how they're, they're, they're really intertwined. That play does prepare us for life, but not in such obvious ways.
1: Right. Because, because um, unstructured play is very good for creative thinking, imaginative thinking, for example, and uh, uh, learning social skills and things like that too. And if you look at the Scandinavian countries, they are really at the forefront when it comes to innovation and economically as well. They're, Um, they're doing really well. So obviously, they're still managing to keep up and, and then some even with these very sort of unstructured, playful childhoods. So I think that says a lot. Right. And when we take away these opportunities
0: for play, we are sometimes just creating what to me seems like sort of a path towards anxiety and stress and overwhelm, which is something that I'm really passionate about discussing with my audience on Simple Families is that we as parents today are overwhelmed with those things. We have a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety about planning for our children's future, about planning for our own futures. And we transfer that onto our children a lot of times. And we pass that stress along to them. Um, whether it's purposeful or not, it's, it's, they can feel it in us and they can feel it in our energy. And we are we may be sort of leading them down that path without intending to or without even realizing it
1: yeah i yeah i I agree and uh I mean, there are studies that show too that if you deprive when you de- deprive children of of play um you know that that can cause an increase in um Mental unhealth, (laughs) and it's on the all those things are on the rise too. Unhealth, mental unhealthiness, or um, uh, depression, anxiety among children, both younger children and uh, and teenagers too. So I I definitely think there's a connection there, and there are researchers who know way more about it than I do, but they believe there's a connection too.
0: But you're right, and I think to me it goes back to this sort of the way that we've evolved as humans we started outside and we really need to be outside this this idea that now we spend sometimes 23.5 hours of our days indoors in temperature regulated zones where we're not experiencing the wind and the cold and the heat and every bit of sensory experiences that we're supposed to, I feel like that's having an impact on us, not just on our mental health, but on our physical health and on the development of our children, too. And we've, we've seen that in the overwhelming number of kids who are having issues with with movement in the past decade or so and issues with attention. ADHD is on the rise. Sensory integration issues are on the rise. autism's on the rise. And they're all sort of disorders that are related to the senses and related to movement. And we are sort of left wondering why, what's, what's different. And my gut tells me that this is one of the biggest pieces of this puzzle is that this lack of being outdoors and the lack of connection to what is so fundamental to us as humans is, is really contributing to this. Maybe not soul, the sole isolated reason, but I think that it's a piece of the puzzle.
1: I, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that this growing body of research that we're seeing now uh, confirms that as well. Just uh, uh, when they first started uh, studying the connection between nature and, and, and uh, wellness, you know, uh, mental wellness in the 80s, people just kind of scoffed at these researchers and basically thought, just dismiss them as crazy hippies, more or less. But, you know, over the past 40 Uh, 30 or 40 years, um, I think science has really proved them right that now we're seeing all kinds of studies come out on the the positive effects on our uh, well-being, the positive effects of nature on our well-being, you know, and these effects are measurable. Uh, Nature can have, you know, it can lower our blood pressure. It can lower our stress levels, uh, cortisol levels. Uh, which causes, uh, which is an indicator of stress, and um, uh, there's a reason why nature therapy is now sort of becoming a thing. And there are even doctors prescribing nature time to uh, kids with different uh, mental uh, issues and uh, adults too, for that matter. It's and th- I think
0: yeah. So I was just gonna say it's funny that you mentioned crazy hippies because I often <laughs> feel
1: I often feel like.
0: It's me and crazy hippies who are interested in getting their kids outdoors. It feels like an it feels like an extremist point of view. Like it's just so different. Do you feel like that? I mean, that like there to find other like minded parents is so difficult.
1: It is, and I've been in that situation many times with my kids, which is you know why right. I yeah I it's for example my my daughter's preschool uh my when my oldest daughter was in preschool i i was on the board as this parent cooperative and uh, we were discussing end of the year activities and i just me being me suggested well why don't we take them to this nature preserve because we have this awesome little nature preserve just uh, like a 15 minute drive from our town and the teachers and the other parents just looked like looked at me like i was out of my mind um it's like we are definitely not taking the three-year-olds there like no way and i just i i just didn't understand why because i've been taking my kids there since they were born they were but then i realized that a lot of those kids have never been there and maybe they just maybe the teachers were just afraid of the liability of it all um you know what there are some high there's some tall uh Cliffs and things like that, and they were probably just worried that the kids would just like walk over, you know, a cliff or something. It's just out of everybody's comfort zone. It is, it is very much. Whereas I just didn't look at it from that perspective at all because I'm so my kids were so used to it. But then when I try to look at it from their perspective, it's like, yeah, you know, that I could see why they would feel like that. So I and I've I've had a ton of situations like like that. so
0: You know, you, uh-huh. me- you mentioned all the, the research on the impact of nature and how it's so wonderful mm-hmm. for our health. And it makes mm-hmm. me sort of nervous for our future, especially here in the U.S., as it pertains to this kind of research and getting this information out, because I feel like we all know that the funding to our outdoors and to our state parks are being mm-hmm. cut more and more all the time. And the funding for things like research are often very times linked to governmental organizations too. And I feel like getting that funding to research into nature and the impact of nature on mental health and on our well-being is probably hard from a researcher standpoint, getting those grants and that sort of thing. And it's it's not going to be easy to, for researchers to dig further into this into this area. And it might even delay getting this information out there and
1: really learning more about it. Right, right. And that's where other organizations are like the Children in Nature Network, for example. That's why they are so crucial in bringing this message out as well, as well as, you know, books like not just my book, but other books that are out there um, that sort of cover the same topic. Um, I think I think individuals have to do a lot more of the legwork in the US. That's just how that's just how this country operates. Um, But Individuals coming together can also be very powerful. And in Scandinavia, we have much more support from the government. Um, the government actually, I mean, I think it, it was a government report that even coined the phrase, uh, sleeve So, um uh, you know, from the get-go, the government has been very involved in setting aside green spaces green spaces for uh, outdoor recreation, and that's both on the local level and the, the you know, state or federal uh, level, and I think we really, in the U.S., just have to advocate and begin on our local level, because that's where we have the most influence, so uh, baby steps, you know, it's, it's going to be a long process, but the first step is definitely just getting, getting this message out there. Uh, it's a powerful message and, and, um, I think, you know, it starts at the family level with getting your own kids outside, um, you know, every day, preferably. And, uh, and then, you know, working with, you know, the next step up, maybe that's a family group that gets together uh, on a regular basis, like a nature club, or maybe it's working with a school, trying to get a, like a school garden, um, or maybe it is... Developing a, a, an area for a, a new, like a natural playground, or securing uh, a, a piece of woods where the the kids can can play, um, in you know in partnership with a private landowner or something like that. Um, one advantage that we have in, in Scandinavia is that we can use uh, private land, uh, as well. And, and that is really crucial to our outdoor recreation. But since we don't have that in the U S we have to find other, other ways of, of getting, getting it. Right. And I was
0: so surprised by reading that, that in, in Sweden, that all land is basically open for, to access, like you can just camp in somebody else's backyard, as long as it's not too close to their house, that you can just sort of wander and enjoy the outdoors everywhere. Which, to me, would be such a game changer because we don't live in the woods we live we we live about an hour north of the city, and we have a beautiful, beautiful area full of woods. but our house doesn't lie adjacent to woods. There are some just up the road, but it is covered in no trespassing signs
1: yeah that's yeah that's the reality of it unfortunately, there are a lot of um the, we, we have the same same thing here i live in a, we live in a rural area, so um it is full of Uh, well, not exactly nature areas. We have a lot of agricultural land too, but we do have a lot of woods, but they're all, they're all privately owned. So when you really look at, you know, which areas do kids actually have access to, where can they play? um, It's just not, not a whole lot. So, right. But,
0: but they're out there and I want to share with you a little story. So I, this past summer, when we were living in Texas, before we moved to New York, I decided I was going to start a forest club. And this sort of rose out of, there is a new program that is, it has come to the U.S. in the past year, and it's, uh, a weekly, it meets weekly, and it gets kids outdoors. It's led by an adult, charges something like $100 a month or something like that. And I've heard it's an absolute wonderful program, and it's a great way to get kids outside. Now, when I heard about this program, I thought, this is really wonderful that we're working to connect kids to nature more so but you know what? Nature's free. I'm not paying 100 bucks a month to get my kids outside. So I was like, you know what? I am just going to get a bunch of families and start our own little weekly meetup. So I did that. So I put together a group. I had so much enthusiasm. I probably had like 50 families registered and just are really informal. You're not paying anything. You're just, we're all showing up at the same place. I found this little spot in the city on a creek and the kids all showed up in their boots with their nets and the first day we probably had 30 families we had so many families we had to split it up into two days otherwise we, our little spot on the creek was going to be overwhelmed and um it was wonderful i had so much feedback i got emails and messages from people saying this was the best day i've had in a long time my kids love this and enjoyed this thank you for organizing and the next week we went from 30 families to about 7 And then the next week, it was the next week, I think it was just me and one other mom. And I'm pretty sure she was just there because she felt bad for me. So I, you know, I want, I want to inspire other families to get outdoors Partially because I know that my kids are going to benefit from it too. That I can't just go outside alone with my kids. They need other
1: kids, right? Exactly. Yes, and it, it just it's just uh, it just motivates uh, you know your kids to get outside more if they have other kids to play with. Of course, um, that just makes perfect sense. And I really commend you for for taking that initiative. That's fantastic. I don't know, um, I. I you know, without knowing the people is hard, but I think, uh, I think part of the problem is that people, or most people don't look at maybe outdoor play or nature connections as something that we need every day. Uh, so they probably thought, you know, they showed up, they had a great time and then they might've felt like that, you know, they could check that box and (laughs) they're covered for the next year. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. So I, I think, you know, I think just this, once again, this sort of missing connection there, not not having this sort of ingrained that, you know, this is something we do every day um, is part of the problem. And then also I don't know, um maybe you know, if if you wanted to to, to, to give it another go maybe try and find those who were the most sort of enthusiastic about it. Start with a smaller group, have like a little core group that gets, you know, gets it started. And, um, I don't know, maybe that would help and then sort of grow it more, more gradually. That's a good Um, idea. So start small and then slowly
0: bringing in families that you know are truly interested and want to commit to Mm -hmm. it rather than starting big and having a huge attrition rate like I did.
1: (laughs) Right. And you might also want to, uh, uh, use like an existing program. You mentioned the the one uh, paid program. And I think a lot of people gravitate towards that because it kind of fits in with uh, this sort of, uh, you know, the other sort of uh, activities, the, the more structured activities that we schedule kids with. So, you know, it, it just became, it just becomes another, because I know some of those programs are very successful and it might be because it makes the parents feel better that, okay, we're paying for this activity. So even if the kids are just playing outside, if it, because it is a paid activity. I know it's, not, I mean, it's a little crazy, but, um, you know, they feel like... Uh they're getting something for that, you know, they're paying for this activity. And so it's just, it becomes just like Spanish or it's more uh, worthwhile.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you Um, know, that was actually my first thought I was after the third week, I was like, do I have to charge people for this? (laughs) Like, which seems so backwards. Like I just want to get people together. Like I don't, I'm not trying to make money off of it, but like in order to get them to commit, I mean, do you have to Put your yes. money where your mouth is, or whatever that expression is. I mean, I, and that seems so. In, it's fascinating.
1: Yes, it is counterintuitive to me, but I think we've gotten to a point in this country where people don't really realize the benefits of outdoor play. It's just, it's not a priority. It's just, it's something extra that you know that they might do if there's time. So and, and um, there's never time. Yeah. That's I think that's right. where
0: we're running into the problem because you have you have school and then gymnastics and soccer and, and everything else. And perhaps maybe on the weekends, there might be an hour or two for it, but there's not this consistent time every day. And I know even in my own family that I, I struggle to do that, but it feels so important to me. And it's, I I get the feeling like, you know, when I let my kids watch too much TV, I kind of get this like icky feeling and I feel like I'm not doing my job as a mother if I'm letting them watch too much TV and I don't know. And that's my own thing. I know not everybody feels like that, but that's my own sort of something that has come ingrained in me somewhere along the way. But I feel like, is that how Swedish parents feel about not getting their kids outside? Do they feel like they're not doing their duty
1: if they don't get their kids outside? Yeah, I think so. And yeah, and it's, it is related to screen time too. I mean, I know personally, uh, you know, I feel like, well, if my daughters, if, if they're playing on their tablets for, you know, so long and then it's like nope okay time to turn it off we got to get outside it's like it's it's just it is ingrained and and I know a lot of my friends are the same way and they feel it for their own sake too not just the kids but they feel so much better when they get outside and um, I work in front of a screen all day long and I know that I feel a lot better uh, when I get outside yeah, so, you know, I you know. It's a lot of work. And it, it is.
0: As you write about in your book, it's not as easy as let's go outside. A lot of times you get objections from the kids and getting them all suited up, especially when the weather's not ideal, is exhausting. And I know when I did the forest club with my kids, that calling them to the creek, they were covered in mud. And I mean, just stripping them down and bathing them. And it took a lot out of me physically just to go through all of that. And I think had I not sort of understood the fundamental reasons why it was so important, I think it would have been really hard for me to keep it up.
1: Yeah. And that's where, uh, that's why it's so important to get more. So it's not just on the parents, um, but to get, you know, and and this is a tall order, but like to get the school systems to understand that why recess is so important um to get preschools to take kids outside too and daycares i mean parents can only do so much you know um we have many other people who take part in uh the raising well unless you you homeschool of course but uh there are a lot of other people who are involved in um in raising your kids and and have them for a, a great part of the day so you know, once again, that sort of educational, uh, component comes in again, just trying to get this message out. And that is a slow process, but, uh, I definitely, yeah, it is, it is, it's not, it's not easy. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I, I write my blog is to share with other parents too. Just sometimes you just need to commiserate, you know, and realize that it is hard work, but getting all those clothes on and, and sometimes the kids don't—they don't want part of it anyway. And um, you know, but there, there—it's—it's it's still so—it's just worth it in the in the end, though. That's the—I just keep—I keep thinking of the way I was raised and how how that's still how that's still with me. And and you know, I, I want to pass it on to my kids, my love for nature and and this being outside every day. And and I can see it now. I can see the results now. I have. I'm not going to say that they always want. They're not always gung ho about going outside, especially not if it's you know cold or rainy. But because it is part of our routine, they uh, they rarely fight it because it's just something. They know it's something that we do, just like we eat and sleep and and brush our teeth. You know, we also go outside. And I know that sounds kind of that doesn't sound very sexy, but. It is what we do. And then once we get outside, we have a good time. You know, it's it's just um, a lot of times the hardest part is getting out the door.
0: Yes. I, for us, most always the hardest part is getting out the door. But you're right. Once you're out there, everyone enjoys it. And it's it's hard to have a bad time when you're outside and you're just sort of wandering around. And I think That sometimes when we have a lot of expectations around what our kids are supposed to be doing outside and sort of when we try to be too structured, um, then things can go a little bit um, out of out of plans. So I think when I go outside with my kids, we never have an agenda. It's just sort of wherever we wander, wherever we go, whatever they do, whatever they don't want to do, I don't have a specific checklist of things that I want them to get done. (laughs) So I don't end up yeah.
1: disappointed. Exactly. And that's a great approach because really, uh, you don't really need an agenda. You can just rest assured that just being outside uh, will benefit them. Um, they will find ways of uh, exercising their muscles and just, you know, climbing up on things. And and they, they you know, you can just rest assured that they're, they're reaping all the benefits from it without you uh, uh, organizing things. So... Uh, sometimes I find that I have to, if my kids are reluctant to get outside, I, it helps if I can suggest an activity and and they're, they're old enough now that sometimes they, they want to have something to do, but I don't, I don't typically, um, I don't see it as my job to entertain them, but I might suggest some things, you know, um, we might go outside and play hide and seek and, But there are also days when, when I just, when they just go outside and play on their own because they're big enough and we live in a, in a safe place. And, um, so they play outside by themselves a lot and they know that's part of their, their routine and they, they usually find something to do.
0: Great. Well, I love to hear that it is possible. And I think that I hear so often from people that this is, it's a different world we're living in, but it doesn't really have to be, or is that sort of what we're creating for ourselves?
1: Right. I well, I mean, if you look at the crime statistics, uh, at crimes against children, it's not less safe today than it was uh, a few decades ago. Um, but it's very hard for us to process that information because we see, uh, you know, you look, you, you watch the evening news, and it's all about. Crime and and uh, you have the 24 hour news cycle now that you didn't used to have and there's social media and somebody saw a white van outside the school and all you know before you know it um, like the whole town knows and and uh, it it gets crazy real fast. Yes, and I think that you hit the nail on the head there in the sense that a
0: generation ago we didn't we got our news with the newspaper in the morning and the news on TV in the evening and. The rest of the day, we didn't think about it all that much, but now we're inundated with it. The quantity of news is overwhelming. So before, we wouldn't have heard these stories of a suspicious van in the neighborhood because 99% of the time it turns into nothing. But now we hear the stories of it, and they scare us because we wonder what could happen. And the awareness and the law of attraction is coming into play, and that has so much impacted our ability to feel safe, even though our safety itself hasn't been compromised.
1: Right, right. In fact, I mean, we are uh, in some ways safer than ever. And uh, I've talked to researchers about that, and they say that this sort of safety it, it becomes a reinforcing um, uh, factor. So, you know, we're so safe that we it makes us feel successful. So we were just wanting things to become safer and safer. And it gets to a point where we're, we kind of hamper our children's development because they're not allowed to take any risks at all, which they need to learn how to judge risk for themselves. That's not really something that you can just teach. It's something they have to experience. And um, and I know a lot of parents struggle with this. And I think we've all had, um, as parents, you know, one of those moments where maybe you lost sight of your child in a busy place or um, and you know, your heart starts to race and it's just the most awful feeling in the world. I know. I mean I it happened to me once when my oldest was four and my youngest was one. I think I sent my four year old outside first while I was dressing the I was putting on clothes on the one year old. So the four year old went outside to play with a dog in our backyard, which backs up to some woods. And when I came outside with the one year old, the four year old and the dog were nowhere to be found. And, uh, you know, I didn't panic immediately, but, uh, then the dog came back by herself and that's when I got really scared and I hadn't been, I hadn't been inside for very many minutes. And, uh, so, you know, I know exactly what that feeling feels like. And it felt like I was, it probably felt like I was searching for five hours and she was probably gone for five minutes. And then she just came up the hill, you know, Oh, she just followed the dog down to the creek and then um, you know, I probably found something on the way that was fun to look at. And she was, and I, you know, I've been calling her name and it's an awful, awful feeling, but you know, the moment you become a parent, you know, you just got to brace yourself for these moments because they, they will come. I mean, you can't, uh, yeah, it's just impossible to completely avoid, um, Risk And you shouldn't for your for your child's sake. And they will learn gradually. So the, the idea that, that Scandinavian parents sort of practice is this freedom with responsibility. So um, the idea is to gradually give your child more responsibility to do things on their own. And it starts in the early ages, really, um, and, and try things on their own. And then uh, when you do it like that, it doesn't seem like such a drastic thing to... All of a sudden, you know, just let them roam free in, in town or something. If they haven't, you know, if they haven't had any experience before, then yeah, that feels really scary. Um, but if you gradually work your way up, then you know what your what your child is ready for.
0: Right. And in, at one point in your book, I think you say that removing all risk has become a parenting strategy. <laughs> Which I completely agree with that. The more risk we can remove, the safer we're going to be able to keep our kids and that that feels like the direction that we're moving in, although the the result of that is that we are preventing our kids from failing and preventing them from falling. And these are things that are so necessary for them to become resilient, productive, developed members of our communities.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, that that all starts in childhood. I mean, we, we're seeing, uh, you know, kids who are college age and they've never been faced with any risk and they're just they some of them are just really fragile because they're not used to doing anything on their own um, because parents have done everything for them just out of fear that they would fail or, or um, you know, uh, hurt themselves or, or something. So. Definitely.
0: Well, Linda, this has been so wonderful. I'm so appreciative of your time and this book, and it's just been so inspiring to me. And I I really want to dig in and learn more. And I hope that I can inspire some others to spend some more outdoor outdoor time with our kids because it's so important. But at the same time, I think that this message is, it's not one that's common yet in our culture. And I think little by little, I'm hoping that your book and your message can spread and really make a difference in the kids of today, not just the kids 20 years from now, because I think this is <laughs> going to catch on 20 years from now. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the kids of today, yeah. my kids, I want them to feel this and I want them to yes. be moving in this direction. So I so yes. much appreciate your time today and you writing this book because it's a really wonderful message.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It was uh, great to talk to you, thank you about so much. all these things. Thank you, Linda. Yeah.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you want to stay in touch with Linda, you can visit her at rainorshinemama.com. I'll put the link to that in the show notes at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 90. And I strongly encourage that you check out her book. You can find that on Amazon and on Audible. It's called There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather. If you've enjoyed this episode and the Simple Families podcast, I kindly ask that you leave a review or rating on iTunes that helps the show to reach more people.
1: Thanks for tuning in.